right. Good morning, New City Church. Glad that you're here. My name is Pastor Adam, one of the pastors on staff. Um, we uh, usually skip announcements during uh, when we have a communion service, so just one quick announcement before we begin with the, the sermon. Engage Women's Conference. Ladies, I'm going to confess, I'm the worst person to make an advertisement for this, so don't, don't listen to, to... I think you should go. I wish I had a woman up here that could make the appeal, but it's my job to do announcements today. Um, anybody who goes to this is, is usually blessed, so uh, ladies, mark those dates on the calendar, reserve them. Um, they have a special speaker. Uh, we're going to be all be meeting at Sailorville Church, which is our, our church planting network, the Engage Network. Um, make, make, make that uh, date uh, on your calendar, ladies, and then if you're, if you're married, gentlemen, watch the kids for them. Let them, let them go to the Engage Women's Conference. Uh, you can put that, uh, you can register on the, the Church Center app there. Okay, we are starting a brand new series uh, in the book of Galatians this morning. I'm super excited. It, it also means we have a new graphics package. So uh, Kristen Etherington always makes all of our graphics. It's, it's Christmas morning for me. You guys had your Christmas two months ago. My Christmas is this morning because I get to make all these, these uh, new graphics that, that Kristen designed for us. So um, the, the series is, we're going to call it All for One for All, and we'll be here for a while. Uh, through the, the school year and, and in, into the summer some. And uh, I, I'm excited because um, Galatians is a, a letter. It's a letter that was written originally to a couple of different churches, but it's also a, re- a letter written to us. And I would say that it's an urgent letter. And I know this because there's a lot of passion in this book. There's a lot of urgency in the book. Um, and there's a lot of even uh, sometimes on, on the part of the Apostle Paul, a little bit of anger. And I think anger is, is maybe the thing that, that cr- the Christians struggle with the most in doing it right. We were, we were at a basketball game yesterday. My, I took my kids to a Hawkeye game. We haven't been to a Hawkeye game in four years. And if you saw the sports news or you watched a game, it was like one of the best games. They scored 23 points in the last minute and a half to take it over. It was unbelievable. Noelle said, this is the best game I've ever seen. And she's six. So, so that was, that's, that's the endorsement right there. But anyways, that's, that's beside the point. You may have also seen, if you watch that game, there was a point at which uh, Fran McCaffrey, the coach, of the Hawkeyes, we weren't getting, the calls weren't going our way, I'll admit that, but Fran McCaffrey makes a point to march over to the referee, and he just glares at him. He doesn't say anything. He had been saying plenty already. He'd gotten his technical foul, but he just, in anger, is staring at him, and we all know what that's communicating. He's saying, non-verbally, I would kill you if I could. If there weren't all these people in this, in this stadium, I would kill you. And so it's interesting, my, my boys are growing up and, and when we go to sporting events, I gotta teach them a little bit about anger. And, 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 and that's, that's the kind of anger I put in the bucket of, that's, boys, that's kind of silly anger, right? We, we wouldn't really harm anybody over a basketball game. We, we get into it and that sort of thing, right? But the emotions take over you and you get angry. Have you ever gotten an angry letter you, you read it in the first, first couple lines and you know, oh dear, I can't wait to read the rest of this because this person is hot. Galatians is a little bit like that. But it's not just, we're going to look at the historical context today. I'm going I'm to introduce you to some of this stuff. It was a historical document. At one point, it was written to a specific church in a specific time. And if you don't read it like that, you can't read it for today. But eventually, it does get to us. Eventually, we get to the point where Galatians was, was written for us. It's a letter to us today, to you today. What makes God angry? <laughs> what makes him uh, right, the Holy Spirit right with urgency? 
We'll get to the bottom of that today in the book of Galatians. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at three things. I, I, I'm really not super ambitious today. I'm going to show you a lot of visuals because I, I have no self-control. I've got all these new graphics and I just, it's going to be a lot of visuals. So try to keep up. But really my, my, my goals are, I only want to introduce this book to you and give you a love and an interest for the book. So I'm going to introduce you to the book. I'm going to introduce you to the people who are involved in the writing of the book. That's Paul and the Galatians primarily. And then I want to introduce you or reintroduce you to the gospel. So we're going to do those three things. I'll pray, ask God to bless our time, and then we'll uh, open with the, the first five verses of Galatians chapter one. God, thank you so much for the morning. Thank you for the time at the communion table and for the worship, God, uh, our ability to just sing and lift our voices and praise you. God, we now turn to this urgent letter, um, Lord, and we'll be here for a while. So Lord, my, my, my main prayer is if there is something urgent on your, on your end, something that you're communicating emphatically, might we have the ears to hear it and the eyes to see it, Lord? I pray that that, that, that urgency would, would, would um, translate into our hearts and our minds, Lord, uh, and eventually lead us to the cross and the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So we'll start with a really broad view. I just want to introduce you to this book. Why this book? Why now? This book is, is, is special in your Bible. So this is all of Galatians in one shot. Galatians is pretty neatly divided into three thirds, and we'll progress through these. There's a little bit of bleeding and overlapping in some of the thirds. But the first two chapters in this book Paul talks about authenticating the gospel. He has, a, he has a small problem. The church in Galatia isn't quite sure he's a real apostle. So he, he, goes, to, he goes to great uh, lengths to say, the gospel that you've received, the good news is real. The second section talks about how the gospel works and he uses some examples from the Old Testament. And then in the third section, he talks about living out the gospel. So that's where we're going to start. Why should we believe what we believe? Chapters one and two. How does it work? How are, how are we saved? Three and four, and then five and six, or how do we live that out? So you, this is an epistle. We call this an epistle, which means it's a letter. Um, we have uh, a lot of different types of literature in our Bible. Uh, the, your New Testament starts with four narratives, four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the point of a gospel is, is basically to tell the story of the cross. Many of the gospels use a third of their, of their uh, total word count on just the last week of Jesus' life, just the cross. So you might look at the gospels as a, a news report. The, the, the biggest historical thing that's happened in my lifetime is, is uh, September 11th, terrorist attacks on September 11th. The Gospels are sort of like the, what you would read in the newspaper on September 12th uh, of that year, right? It, it's just, it's information. What's happened? Tell us the story. Give us an account. But now that we're uh, almost a couple decades ahead of, of that historical event, 
you can start having some reflection. What did that do to our country? What did that do uh, to the way that we travel and the way that we uh, fight war, right? There's a little more perspective. That's what an epistle is. So whereas the, five, the four gospels focus on the cross, the epistles sort of take the cross and look at it and see what, what exactly is the cross. And D.L. Moody, this is not my scholarship, D.L. Moody uh, uh, taught that there are five crosses in the book of Galatians. So Jesus Christ, died on the cross. The Gospels tell us this. What does that mean? Well, in Galatians, Paul's going to tell us five things actually happened. Five things died on the cross the day that, that Jesus did. So that's just, we, we won't even get into that till chapter two, but it's something that this book does. It takes that, that central event and it gives us reflection and tells us, what, is, what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus died on the cross for us? So Galatians is, I, I call it the first epistle, and it's first in many respects. Um, it's the first epistle written, and I have a question mark there because that's very likely. We think this is the first ever epistle written in, in the new church, about 48 AD. So Jesus has not been dead and resurrected very long by the time Paul writes this. It's also written to, the, to a few of the very first ever church plants. Um, it's, Paul, it's the only time, the first and only time Paul wrote a letter to multiple churches. Uh, it's the first great Christian theological debate. We'll get into that next week. And it's about first things, meaning primary things, important things. So where are we in the world? This is modern day Greece and Turkey. Maybe you can recognize it. So after Jesus is resurrected and he, after he appears to, to Paul and, and Paul gets saved, um, Paul goes on three large missionary journeys. And this is just a map of all three of them. In blue is, is the first missionary journey. And you can notice that's, that's the, the, the one that, that, goes, that sticks closest to home. On the second and third, he would go out quite a bit further. But on the first journey, he sticks closer to home. And that's his most Jewish of all the journeys. He's, he's, he's going into places where there's a heavy, Jewish population. And you can see the region of Galatia is right there. So this is all coming from that first missionary trip. And if we zoom in on it, there's basically uh, four, four cities that, would, that he's writing to in the book of Galatians. And in that first trip, he sort of makes the round and then doubles back to all of them and, 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 and backtracks uh, the route that he took. So these are the four cities. When Paul writes at the very beginning to the churches of Galatia, best we can tell these are the four cities that he's, that, that he's talking about. So uh, very quickly, because I have way too many slides and we got to get through all of them. We're on number 16 now, if, if you all are counting. Um, very quickly, I want to tell you what happened when Paul was planting these churches. Because it really matters for how we read this book and how, how, how we explore it. So in Antioch, Paul is, uh, this is Acts chapter 13 and 14. In Antioch, Paul gives his first recorded sermon, and it's to the Jews, it's to his brothers, and it's very successful. People are, people are uh, extremely interested, and people are getting saved, and they invite him back to speak more at Antioch. And I'm picking up in verse 49, then it says this, the, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they drove them out of their district. So Paul's a brand new church planner. He's going to Antioch. He, he, he's had some success, but then the town has had enough of them. So there's this Jewish uh, group that pushes him out. Okay, so he moves on to the next town to plant another church, Iconium. They spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So Paul's having success again. He's preaching the gospel and people are getting saved. 
But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. When an attempt was made to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled. So success, ministry success, and now it's getting worse there. They almost stoned him and he got out of there before he could do it. What's he do? Move on to the next town, which is Lystra. So Lystra is where it kind of goes all crazy. Number one, Paul performs uh, one of his first miracles. There's a cripple in Lystra and Paul enables the cripple to walk. And the people in Lystra see this and they lose their minds and they start worshiping Paul and Barnabas as if they were gods. And so this priest of Zeus starts sacrificing animals and Paul again has to say, stop, no, no, no. And then he preaches them the gospel and people get saved. But as you might imagine, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Now the previous town people who were causing trouble are following him. They're going on the road with Paul. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So Paul is four or five cities into his first church planting mission. How's it going, Paul? Uh, I love church planting. It's great. <laughs> They're throwing rocks at me to kill me, right? So there's a, there was, when, when Paul was in Galatia, he had, he had wild success, but he also had these failures, and it was because the Jews were not accepting his message. This group of Jewish people was, 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 was following him around, persuading crowds, and eventually they, they stoned him. So you might think, all right, hang up, hang up the shoes. You're done as a church planner. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. How about that? That's, he's my church planning hero. Paul, he gets stoned. They're all standing around him. They, he looks like he's dead and he hops up, he gets back into the city and then they go to Derby. What happens in Derby? They preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. And then, as if that wasn't brave enough, he doubles back. He goes back to the city where they stoned him, back to the city where they almost stoned him, back to the city where he rejected him, and uh, again, back to uh, the Holy Land eventually. That was his first missionary journey. But Paul, in the very beginning, already got a taste of how people will respond to the gospel. The Jews did not like it. They didn't like it at all. It causes controversy. So that's just the, the uh, introduction to the book. And this is where we are. This is where we are on the map. Now I would like to t talk secondly about the people. I want to introduce you to these people who we're with. So the first one we talked about, uh, Paul, an apostle. Um, and he's writing to four different churches, which we looked at, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Now we don't know, unlike, say, um, Ephesians or Philippians, where we know a lot of the people that were in and out of that church, in the early church in, churches in Galatia, we don't know a lot of specifically who's sitting in the pews there. They didn't have pews, but whatever their equivalent was on the dirt floor, I presume, right? Who's, who is in this church? We don't know a lot, but, you, but we do have to remember that our Bible originally started like this, a man writing a letter to a group of churches. So in order for us to read it for everything it's worth, we have to first read it like that. Now it's inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's a letter to us, but at first it was like this. So it helps us to imagine who is sitting in this church and who is listening to it. So here's a couple possible people that would have been in the church. In the church at Lystra, the healed cripple presumably might have been a Christian. He could have been in there. Same with the priest of Zeus, who, who initially worshipped Paul and Barnabas. Maybe he's in that room. The only other uh, couple people that we know at some point 
in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to a man named Cretans and sends him to Galatia. He might not have been there when, when uh, the letter was written, but he at some point, we believe, would have been in that church. And then the last person we know, we don't know many, the last person we know specifically is when Paul, on his second journey, the one that goes a little bit further out, when he stops by uh, Lystra on the way out, he picks up a young man named Timothy. So that's maybe really the only person you might have heard of in the Bible that's from this region. Timothy, who Paul would write a couple letters to and was his right-hand man, comes out of Galatia. So he's in that church with his his mother and his grandmother were Jewish and his father um, was a Gentile. And then lastly, just as far as the makeup of this church. So we don't know who these individuals are, but we we do know that Galatia was kind of a boiling pot and that there are intermixed in the church people uh, who are Jews or people who are Judaizers, which means they try to convert other people to to Judaism, along with Gentiles. So that gives you a little bit of a a snapshot of who's in the church. But I'm more interested uh, today to talk about the tone of the letter. And so... um, I've, I've made this, I've made my own, I couldn't find anybody that had done this like statistically, mathematically. So I made my own Paul's epistle tone scale. I made a graph and everything and a chart. I had a point system. It would bore, maybe Diane, Diane, I'm going to show you my chart that I made. You would find it interesting. Everybody else would find it boring. But I wanted to see like some of the letters that when you read, Paul is like in love with this church and he's just heaping compliments on him. And some of them he's furious. So I did have a point scale, but I, I, I dumbed it down to emojis. So so I, I spent more time. I spent more time on this than I should have. But but if 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 this is the range of of how Paul addresses churches, that's his, he's just loving and gushing as possible. And this is he's most furious. The dead center of this, I decided, is Second Corinthians. Go read it for yourself. If you read Second Corinthians, half the time he seems to be gushing about this church, and half the time he's just spanking them. And so it's like, it's almost split right down the middle. So 2 Corinthians is kind of our, 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 our middle mark, almost exactly. Does he, is he angry at this church or is he happy with them? In that letter, it's both. Most of the letters fall on the happy side of the scale. As you work your way left, Romans and Ephesians, he says a couple nice things, but he's, he's mostly not about them. He's talking about theological things. Uh, he says a few more nice things to the Thessalonians and the Colossians. Some people are being lazy in Thessalonica, but that's a small detail. But once you get to the far end, 1 Thessalonians, Philippians, and 1 Thessalonians won by a hair. You'll be in, Diane, you'll be interested to know, they just barely won by a hair. Those are, the, those are the Macedonian churches. Paul loves the Macedonian churches. He gushes about them. He, he compliments. In 1 Thessalonians, the first three chapters, it takes him three chapters to stop complimenting them and to get on with the letter. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that he, was, he wasn't being genuine. These churches were really, really showing their faith in, in a difficult time. Um, and so not only, not only was, he, was he happy in his tone, in a couple other epistles, he's bragging about those churches. So when he's talking to the Romans and the Corinthians, he's bragging about the Macedonian churches. So they win. They get on the, they get on the happy side of the scale. He wrote two angry letters, two letters where I would say the tone is aggressive and rough. The first one is 1 Corinthians. So that church was a mess. Um, 
And so, I mean, they've got people um, marrying their stepmother and they're getting drunk at the communion service. It's just, there's a hundred different problems. And so Paul is not happy with them and he fixes them all. But the tone is like, we have have a couple teachers in here. Teachers, did you ever grade a paper or, or grade some homework? And the first sentence has like three errors in it. And you just get your pen ready. You're like, oh boy, this is gonna be a long paper, right? That's 1 Corinthians. It's like, we just got a lot to fix here. But then on the far end of the scale is Galatians. This is the angriest Paul has, has, has ever written. According to my, the thing that I made, according to the thing that I made and the, and the point system that I made, he's, he's very angry here. And the reason is, is actually the reason is because of a totally different reason than um, 1 Corinthians. The, the Corinthians were doing all sorts of things wrong. The Galatians were doing one thing wrong. They had forgotten the gospel. Or maybe better put, they were diluting the gospel. And so Paul is furious with this church. They've lost their way. Even the compliments in Galatians are backhanded compliments. He says something like, before you would have gouged your eyes out for me. You were faithful. What's happened to you? So, so, so Paul here is as angry as he gets. Let's look at what I, what I mean by that. Because even in our open... This is, this is hinted at. We only, we only looked at the first five verses, but listen to this again. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. So Paul, as fast as he can, gets to that word apostle, which the Greek word apostolos means the sent ones or the delegate or the ambassador. In other words, the apostles were this special group of people. They have been sent from God with a message from God. They have authority, there aren't hundreds and hundreds of apostles. There were only a few. There were the 12 with Jesus and the, other, the, the others that, were, uh, that saw him after the resurrection and were commissioned by him. So Paul right away says, I am an apostle. Paul, an apostle. Compare that to some of the other letters. He loved the Philippians. Here, Paul and Timothy, they're just plain old servants of Christ. He doesn't even mention the A word. It's just, we're just servants. We're just humble servants. And then look at how he talks about, I thank God in all my remembrance for you, always in every prayer of mine for you. A little bit later, he, he, he says, uh, I hold you in my heart. He loves this church. Even the other angry letter though, even the other church that was messing up a ton and Paul is, really needs to be serious in his tone. First Corinthians, listen to this. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brothers Sosthenes, I give thanks to my God always for you. That's pretty extraordinary in a letter where he's going to correct literally everything they do. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace God has given you. And then down at the bottom at seven, uh, he says, you are not lacking any gift. That's extraordinary. This is an angry letter. And yet he says, he, he, he finds a way to give thanksgiving in the, in the beginning of the letter. Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, meaning he didn't get it from Peter, he didn't get it from the other, it's not a secondhand gospel, I am an apostle, I got it from no man, nor through no man, but who gave him the gospel? Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Oh, and by the way, all the other brothers are with me, which is in parentheses like, and they also agree with me too. The spanking you're about to get, they've all, they've all signed off on, on what's about to happen, right? 
So, so even in the very introduction of the letter, it's unlike any other. There's no thanksgiving. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I thank God for you. I'm praying for you. He gets right into it. We'll tackle, we'll tackle that next week when he starts really um, reaming them. But that's, that's the, the intro to, to, to Galatians. And so I want to go back to that question I asked you, what, what, what would make God angry? Because this is a letter. It has historical context, but it's a letter for us. What makes God angry? And it would be the forgetting of the gospel. So what is the gospel? That's our third point for, t- for tonight. And this is the graphic that you're really going to get bored of. We'll show it over and over throughout the series. Um, but I think, so we have a creative team. Before we do a sermon series, we think uh, through the graphics and what it, what it will look like. And I, we, we thought really long and hard about what does the gospel look like in the book of Galatians? What is he trying to say? And this is our best effort at that. So it starts with, this is a really simplistic, it's, there's only three things you could, if you were teach kids, if you're explaining the gospel to your classmates, you could draw this on a, on a piece of notebook paper, it'd be very easy. So you could draw a world on the left side of the paper, and it starts with the world, and we know what the world is, the world is where all the people live, and there's good things in the world, there's culture and internet, and then there's terrible things like war and, and genocide, you know what the world is, right? Do I need to keep explaining? You know what the world is. All right, so there's the world, and we all come from it. And, and by and large, the Bible says that the world is, is generally a hostile place, that it's a hard place, and that it all ends in death. On the other side of the paper, you could draw fruit. It wouldn't have to be that ornate. Just draw an apple or a banana or something. This, this is representative of, call it, call it the good life, or call it the brotherhood of men, or peace on earth, or heaven on earth. The, the goodness, good things, Right? So, so the earth isn't quite here yet. It's, it's not a fruitful earth yet. There's some things to like about it, but in general, it's a lot of suffering and selfishness. And so the question of not just the Bible, but of any thinker ever is, how do we get from that to here? How do we get from the world to the good life, to the brotherhood of men, to heaven on earth? And, and every belief system has come up with an answer to this. Marxism has come up with an answer. Islam has come up. Every belief system has come up with an answer. Here is the gospel in Galatians. And Paul insists on it. And the Holy Spirit of God insists on it. There is only one way that you can come out of this world and get to the good life. And that is through the cross. And at each one of these points, each one of the three parts of the gospel in the book of Galatians, Paul insists on everything. The world is lost and desperate, but also the gospel is available to all the world, every tribe and nation. That's not just a goal that God has. God is going to do that. God is going to give fruit, the good life, heaven on earth, to people from every, every tribe. Not every single person, but people from every tribe. And that, that fruit that, it, that is promised is good fruit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's the things that we all desire, that we want in life. But the other thing that he insists the most upon is that you absolutely cannot have it outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now think about your own life just for a second. What do you do to try to jump over to that third part, to try to have the good life? I, even, even how I asked it is, is revealing. What do you do? What can you do to have a good life? What is the secret to it, right? We are so built to do things. We, we, we think to have a better life, I need to work in such a way. I need to adopt these habits. 
I need to be doing and doing. And Paul says, we'll get to the doing in a second. But if you want the good life, if you don't want to just end up, some people are just content to be in the world. The world is all there is. The pleasures that it offers um, uh, are all there is, and then you die. They just stay in the world. But if you want more out of your life, you have to go through the cross. And that's the paradox of the cross, is that on the cross, Jesus is rejecting all of the, all of the good things. He's rejecting fellowship with, with the Father. He's rejecting the comfort that he had and the glory that he had. And he's dying on the cross for our sins so that we might have the good life. So this is the gospel according to Galatians. And we will zero in on all three of these things at different parts of, of the series. But, but, but before we, we move from the gospel, I, I, I want to ask this question. What are you doing in your life to have fruit? What are the things that you are most burdened for? What are the things that actually make you angry or are urgent in your life? Paul says the most urgent thing is that you know Jesus. It's not actually even that you do good works, that you do the love, joy, peace, patience. It's that you know Jesus. And he says it's not only the most important thing, it's the only way. And yet, how often do you, do I, do we keep trying to find a way around it? Ah, Jesus is important, but I actually think this is the secret, right? No, the gospel is if you know Jesus, he will bear good fruit in your life. And ultimately, he will bring you to be with him one day. If you don't know Jesus, you ain't got a hope. You will not lead the good life, the brotherhood of men, heaven on earth, whatever it is you wanna call that side of the equation, you will never taste it. Because you can't, you're imperfect, your works aren't good enough. And that would be the theme of Galatians, is faith over works. Paul insisted on the gospel so much that we even see it in the introduction. Now, when I read that, when I read that verse, you probably thought, well, there's, there's not a lot of meat on those bones. If you're reading your Bible, a lot of times this is the part we read through really fast, and then we get to verse six. Okay, here's what Paul really wanted to talk about. But even in the introduction, the gospel is on, so, so much on his mind and so important and so urgent that he gives him the gospel in his little introduction, which was, as we said before, very brief. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. That's the beginning of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for you, for your sins. And then what? God the Father raised him from the dead. So that what? He might deliver us from the present evil age and you will get grace and peace. Not only that, you will be a, a part of the church, which are the called out people, and you will have brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I, I reordered it a little bit, right? But you can even see, even in what we would call kind of a ho-hum, boring introduction, he's talking about the gospel. Remember, Jesus Christ died for our sins. He rose again. You can have grace and peace if you follow Jesus, if you believe in him. I'll close with this. This is slide 57 for those of you keeping track. I'll close with this. It's, it's, uh, this is subjective, and, and it's maybe not, uh, it, it's just my opinion, but I, I would say that, that maybe the, the most important word in the first five verses of Galatians is that word, our. That word, our. Many of you probably are familiar, at least with the basics of the gospel, the ABCs of it, um, that Jesus Christ died for sinners, and if you believe in him, he'll forgive you of your sins, and he'll, he'll bear fruit in your, in your life. Um, but what it really comes down to is if you can read that sentence, that line, Jesus gave himself for our sins, 
and you can really count yourself among the hour, really genuinely and truly know that you are forgiven in Christ, then he will change everything in your life. It all comes down to, do do you know the gospel technically or do you every day, as part of who you are, put yourself into that category? We are the forgiven ones. We are the ones who believe in Jesus Christ. Your whole life depends on where you are in that hour, in that one word. Martin Luther zeroed in on that word. This book of Galatians was, was, was really important to him in his life. So Martin Luther, the great reformer, has this amazing dialogue. Uh, our last series, we talked about enemies and allies and how the devil is always trying to lie, with, lie to us. And Martin Luther is talking about how the devil lies about, about us being sinners, about the hour in, in Galatians 1. And he says, the devil will come to him and he'll, he will say, Martin, you're a sinner, therefore you are condemned. And Luther, in this sort of imaginary conversation, says this, and I reply to Satan, no, for I fly to Christ who has given himself for my sins. Therefore, Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by telling me how great my sins are and try to reduce me to heaviness, distrust, despair, hatred, contempt, blasphemy. On the contrary, when you say I'm a sinner, you give me armor and weapons against yourself so that I can cut your throat with your own sword and tread you under my feet. For Christ died for sinners. It is on his shoulders, not mine, that all my sins lie. For the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when you say I am a sinner... You do not terrify me, but comfort me immeasurably. That's how Luther and that's how we as Christians can view our sinners. Yes, we're in that camp. We're in the world. We're we're, we're rotten. We're we're selfish. We're, We're impulsive. But the Lord Jesus gave himself for sinners. And that's why Paul's mad because they've forgotten this. They're trying to get forgiveness from somewhere else. And that's why we're doing this book. Because I'm convinced some of you do not believe the gospel. Some of you are plunked squarely in the world. And frankly, if you're being honest, you're comfortable there. And Paul is saying, there is forgiveness available for you. There is a better life. There is a fruitful life available for you. So that's why we're in Galatians. Because I'm convinced some of you don't believe the gospel. Worse, I'm convinced that some of you, and I, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but, but in, a, in a church, this, even our size, in a room this big, some of you think you believe the gospel, but you live exactly like the rest of the world, and you have no fruit. I'm convinced that that's some of us. That we know the ABCs, yes, Jesus is important, and yes, one time I said a prayer, but if we were to look at your life, we'd have a really hard time seeing fruit. Maybe... Maybe if we, if we tilt our head and squint our eyes, we could see some fruit. That's why we need to study the book of Galatians. And, and thirdly, we're, we're in this book because, and I put myself in this category, some of us have just forgotten the gospel. Some of us are in Christ. We're believers. And yet we live our lives most of the day like we can go out and earn, like we can, we can generate that good life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 Jesus. It's all in Jesus. I need to be in Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we turn and the world and the flesh, it distracts us. And we functionally forget the gospel. 
but God insists on the gospel. This letter is not just written to a church 2,000 years ago. It's for you. So listen when the apostle is speaking. Listen when he tells you what should matter in your life, how you should prioritize it, because that uh, word to you, though it's maybe said with a harsh tone, will save you. It will save you from your sins and it will save you from this, this thing that you're in, this, this trial, this life that you're in. Whatever it is you're dealing with, the gospel has answers. And that's why he insists on it. So the series is called All for One for All because the gospel is available for every nation. Any single person that wants it can have it. And it is for every good work. If you want to have a meaningful life or do anything of value in the sight of the Lord, um, it is through the gospel. But there is only one gospel. The Lord insists on it. But here's the good news. It's good enough for all of us. Jesus died for you. And if you believe that and if you live that out in your life, he will bear fruit in your life. Isn't that good news? I'm so excited to start this series with you. Let's pray and thank the Lord for it. God, thank you so much for this letter. Thank you for this word. God, I, I do hope we would have the, 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 the integrity to when we have a, a hard word that comes through your Bible, that we would hear it, that we would be critical um, enough to examine our lives. And Lord, Lord, this morning, what I want to ask this church and what I want to even, even remind myself and ask is, have we forgotten your gospel? Have we forgotten that there's no thing we can do to bring about the fruitful life that you've, that you've called us to? Lord, my prayer is that our impulse would not be just to go out and do, go out and change, but to first turn to the cross and believe. Believe that you're up there for us and that since you're up there for us, we can be forgiven totally and fully. God, we thank you for this good news. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.